Navigating the Datascape with Warner Chavez and special guests. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Datascape podcast. My name is Warner Chavez, and today we're going to talk about building big data platforms in Azure. Joining me today, I have probably one of the best and biggest gurus of big data in Brazil, Mr. Luan Moreno Maciel. Luan, how are you today? Thanks for the kind words first and foremost. Thank you for having me for the second time. It seems that I did a good job on the last one. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, you didn't so get it's... fired. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. That's very important. All right. <laughs> And to the people that don't know your background, just give us a quick intro about yourself. Sure. I started as a DBA. Um, then I moved into the big data uh, ecosystem. i am just been working with Azure since 2014. So it's been a while working with big data solutions on that platform. And, you know, seeing like a lot of movements and a lot of updates that just changed the way that we do big data inside of Azure. So super excited to, to talk about it. Absolutely. And Luan is a Microsoft Data Platform MVP as well. So why did we pick Azure? So let me preface this for the listeners. that We, we picked Azure, well, obviously, because Luan, both Luan and myself are Microsoft Data Platform MVPs. But also, I think, think about this, and it applies to Azure, but a lot of the stuff that we'll talk today will probably apply to the other big cloud providers as well, right? Both to AWS and Google. But we're going to talk specifically about Azure because I think... Microsoft is pushing and really advertising and really investing into Synapse Analytics. And to the listeners that are not familiar with it, we do have other episodes in the podcast just dedicated to Synapse Analytics. But I'm going to give the one minute to minute introduction to Synapse, and then we're going to talk about all the other options in Azure. And, and the reason why I think Azure is more interesting is because this, because this huge amount of money and, and R&D that Microsoft is putting into Synapse Analytics. So Synapse Analytics is Microsoft's flagship analytics service. And they set out to basically throw everything in the kitchen sink into one service that will encompass everything to do with big data and data warehousing and, and the data engineering. And soon it'll probably be integ fully integrated with the ML as well, but you know, uh, baby steps. Um, I was very skeptical at the beginning when Microsoft announced this. I thought, well, they're just making a big a service that's like a big bucket of, of stuff. But I, I was the first one to, to also recognize when the service came out and I started using it, it actually works really well. It actually integrates really well. It flows really well. Like the, if you set up everything properly, then the day-to-day -day workflow uh, as a data engineer is really easy to follow. It is seamless. There's very little friction into reusing uh, tables from one engine to the other. Um, so Synapse is, is interesting as well because it has a bunch of different engines under the hood, right? We have um, the what Microsoft calls the dedicated SQL pool, which is a, an MPP version of SQL Server. We have a serverless SQL engine, which only works with data lake storage, but it's purely on demand and you pay per uh, data consumption, similar to how Google uh, charges for BigQuery. Then we also have a complete implementation of Spark built right into the Synapse environment. And 
Since that wasn't apparently enough, Microsoft has also added another engine inside Synapse that's in public preview right now, which is the Data Explorer engine. And this is an engine that is built for uh, streaming and processing of time series data. So now we have three, well, I guess four, four different engines inside Synapse. So uh, again, a lot of R&D and investment is going into this service, but at the same time, People come up to us all the time and they say, well, should I go with Synapse? Or I'm also very interested in Snowflake, right? Snowflake being a third party provider that has uh, the, the Snowflake product in all the three major clouds. So it's very attractive and it has gained a lot of market share as well. And then over the last couple of years as well, we've seen a lot of interest picking up in Databricks, which is you know, a, a private company as well that creates a distribution of Spark that has a bunch of uh, proprietary improvements, right? Which uh, Luan and I usually call the, the Databricks goodies. Goodies, right? uh, yes. Yeah, the goodies. <clears throat> now, uh, then it becomes a, a debate a, a lot of times. We do a lot of consulting. We help with uh, due diligence, the companies to decide what to use. So they come up and they say, well, should I use Synapse? Should I use Snowflake? Should I use Databricks? I'll, I'll, I'll ask you this, Luan. For example, when, when the client comes in with those three main options, what are some of the main things that you try to understand from them to try to guide them to the best decision? <laughs> That's a good question. And at the same time, it's one, tough, one of yeah, the most complex sometimes. ones. Yeah, it's tough. So I, I think it would start to set the stage asking about what are the background experience that that specific company have? Yeah, uh, has because there are some cases once we introduce new technology for these customers, we can face a lot of problems during the consulting process because they don't know about that technology. So they're going to have to learn the technology beforehand in order to be able to do anything. Mm -hmm. So I think I, I start asking about what are the background that the IT or the, the, the people that are involved in the progress in the process have. Uh, <clears throat> but I think it's just you know it just something important in my uh, on my opinion is that since we have the it's not because we are MVPs to be honest uh, since Synapse since Microsoft released Synapse I think it was a huge game changer in the market because prior Synapse I haven't seen I hadn't seen anything like that like a, a engine one stop shop where we can just put everything in one place and just do all the pieces of big data analytics in one single place. So prior, that was really hard. So we had to discuss with the customers um, a bunch uh, a bunch of several different topics, like how the ingestion looks like, what are the data sources that you have. Um, you have to talk about the different models and the different processes that you have on the processing zone and also for the serving layer. But Synapse Analytics makes so easy for us. So I think that um, when we go to customers and ask about it, it's really important to do as much as collection gathering you can do, it's the mm -hmm. better, because that's going to set uh, uh, a really good foundation for you to offer either Synapse or Databricks or Snowflake. In my personal opinion, in the end of the day, uh, either if you pick each one of these services, you're going to be able to do analytics in the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, I neither one of them is a bad yeah. choice, right? It's not like, exactly. oh, no, you went with a crappy product. Like, they're all yeah. three great platforms, which is also what makes the decision hard, right? Yes. If they were crappy, it would be easy to discard <laughs> them, right? But they yeah. are they are good, and, and that 
makes the decision hard. Um, I do think that what you mentioned, the part about staffing is very important too, because there's different levels to the products, right? So sometimes I say, you know, Databricks to me is a little bit more for the type of people that want to have more like hands-on management and tuning of their platform, right? So you can load up a cluster with very specific uh, libraries and, and versions of mm. Spark and and you have the Databricks goodies, which are, are for the most part are, are, you know, some of them are pretty advanced. And on the other side, you have something like Synapse where everything comes like pre-integrated for you. And then on the other hand as well, you have Snowflake, which is a product that to me, to me, Snowflake is like the Apple of the big data platforms is a product that might not be necessarily the cheapest, but it just works and you don't have to wrestle with it a lot to make it work nicely. Right. So it's kind of like the Apple products in that way. Um, it doesn't have a lot of things that you can press and like micro configurations that you can tune or stuff like that. But if that's not what you're looking for, right, if you're not a, a hardcore database tuner or whatnot, then, you know, it's a product that'll make you more productive, uh, quicker, right? Do you, what are some of the things that you see, are differentiators? Like, for example, why, why would people some of the people would pick, uh, let's say, Databricks specifically over Synapse or Snowflake. What are some of the uh, big differentiators that you see when people do these type of choices? You know, it is a tough question because Databricks is just Spark-centric uh, mm -hmm. stuff. So everything surrounds Spark. Of course, that Databricks over the years, they have been changing a little bit the game in terms of Prior to 2020, 2021, we used to only have a Spark inside of the engine. But now what they did is that in order to compete against Synapse and BigQuery and Snowflake, they, they released a new engine called Photon. So that engine, you can do data housing queries on top of the data lake. And mm -hmm. then they just use the latest Delta Lake file format in order to speed up queries and other to, to to give like a good data warehousing stylish um stuff. Yeah, but yeah. Databricks think... is trying to it's trying to it's trying to match the yeah. more like immediate SQL experience that you get from BigQuery or Synapse or Snowflake, right? Which you didn't really get when you were just working with Spark, right? And yeah. and you have even the endpoint, the endpoint that just goes straight into that SQL engine. That databricks has and one, one of the biggest challenges databricks still has though is that it is obviously built on top of spark yeah so i was i was playing with it the other day and like the sql endpoints they take a while to start mm -hmm. up right because mm -hmm. at the end of the day behind the scenes it's just booting up some spark clusters. so I, I do think they need to work a little bit more on that engineering side but but the product is is, is showing a lot of promise for sure it's showing a lot of promise. I think Databricks is putting all of the efforts on that engine, but mm -hmm. my caveat on that is that it's still too costly in order to have all of these service up and running because you have to have a Spark cluster. And on mm -hmm. the other hand, you have to have the SQL endpoint. So in the end of the day, you're just paying for two different cluster nodes to get the query. And there's a bunch of misconception about this because for example, if you have a Spark, um, engine, you can query Delta Lake. So mm. why 
why should I need the the SQL endpoint, right? So uh, they claims that they have like a C plus plus engine called Photon that performs way better, mm. which indeed in some cases yes, but there's a bunch of work. So that's why I think Snowflake is one of the uh, the biggest guys that 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 can offer something different over Databricks because. Databricks is just really limited to Spark, as you said, but Snowflake and Synapse, they're not. So they just deliver a whole- It's kind of funny because process. because it's like Snowflake took the reverse road and, that yeah. Databricks mm -hmm. took, right? So Databricks started with lots of Spark and now they're moving into a more like interactive SQL endpoint. And on the other hand, Snowflake started with you know very responsive, fast, interactive SQL endpoints. And now Snowflake is actually introducing Snowpark, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so Snowflake came at it in the other direction. They they did SQL very well first, and now they're introducing Snowpark, which is you know the Scala and Python data frame API, very similar to the structured uh, Spark APIs, introduced as a programming construct in Snowflake, and they are starting to go for the lake house market, right? I don't remember seeing anybody talk about this lake house idea before Databricks. I don't know if Databricks is the one True. that actually coined the lake house term, but yeah. now everybody's using this term. And if you think about it, there's a lot of material now out there, how to do lake house on Synapse or how to do lake house on AWS or Google or whatever. Um, and Snowflake went after this market as well. And now they have a lot of support for if you wanted to do a lake house implementation in Snowflake, you could, right? They have the ability to query cloud okay. storage directly now. They have the ability to do external tables now. We have the ability to run Snowpark, again, on, on uh, external storage that's not managed by Snowflake. So you can do a lake house now in all the three platforms as well, right? Now, obviously, Snowpark, the difference is the Snowpark is, is a, a public preview feature in Snowflake right now. And Databricks, of course, is full Spark plus all the Databricks proprietary stuff, all the all the goodies that we talk about, right? Right. So let me let me ask you this: In Brazil, I don't know if Brazil is any different than Canada or, or the U.S., but do you see it as people that are starting their analytics journeys now? Are they starting more in developing in the Python space first, or is SQL <laughs> still the king? And people still will go with SQL first. And then when they run out of stuff that they think they can't do on SQL, they will roll up their sleeves and work on the Python. That's a really good question. So yeah, uh, in order to answer that, let me just put that way. Um, I think people in Brazil specifically are really strong on the Azure side. So if you see the spectrum of customers that we have in, in Brazil, you're going to see like most likely there's a, there's a like, lot of Microsoft Shopping yes. in Brazil. Okay. Yeah, seventy percent Microsoft shop, and no. the remaining is going to be AWS. There's a little few in GCP, uh, okay. so the, the, there's a market that is gaining traction, but I think it's going to take a while. Mm -hmm. But because of that, I think SQL is still the king. Uh, yeah. We can do SQL and we can build pipelines end to end using SQL. And once we get, I mean, some sort of limitations and better ways to do some sort of scripting and processing, then people start to jump in Python. But that's an important question because two or three years ago, you wouldn't be able, you wouldn't be talking about SQL and Python. You wouldn't be, we would be talking about Scala in Python. And mm. that's a that's a nice point. You didn't mention Scala, but Scala in Brazil is just no, because not I, I, used. I, yes. 
I, I yeah. so to to that point, that's why I mentioned people that are starting projects in analytics. I I most often I don't see people just starting right off the bat with Scala. True. True. Most often I see them starting with SQL or Python, and then when they hit whatever limit they might hit on Python. I mean, if you want to do some of the deep level RDD operations in Spark, then maybe you'll go into the Scala world, but 99% of the shops don't even get there. They'll just be fine with just using SQL and Python. Oh yeah, totally. And an important notice uh, note for the listeners is that if you don't know Spark, you have to know Spark if you want to do analytics, because if you look for all the services available out there, all of those uses Spark somehow. So Synapse, Databricks, Snowflake, EMR, uh, Dataproc, HD Insights. So I, I think just the Spark, it's, it's everywhere. There is no way for us to ignore it. Uh, no, everybody really should know at least a little bit of Spark, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And, and, the, and the data engineering world in general has moved on or has really embraced the whole idea of the notebook, right? So mm -hmm. whenever you're sharing notebooks, you're collaborating, most of the times you're going to get some code in SQL, some code in Python, some code in Scala for the most part. Also, I find that the Scala bit, as long as you can read it, you can probably manage <laughs> as well. Maybe yeah. if you don't write it, if you write on the Python side, that's okay too. But that's interesting too, right? So um, and Snowflake, again, they moved in that direction. Right with the Snowpark implementation, where now you can do those as it's well. It's a preview, and, right? Uh, yeah, Snowpark is public preview right now. Oh, okay. It is in AWS and Azure. I don't know if it's already in Google, but it's uh, it's very interesting because Snowpark also the way that Snowflake implemented it, it's you write it as you know you write your Scala or Python code and whatnot, and some of the operations that you do on the data frames, for example, they built like this translator that will turn them into SQL um, to run it against the, the Snowflake wow. data or the Snowflake um, the storage API that goes out into the cloud storage. So it's pretty cool. Do you have to cool have well. a do you have to have a separate cluster uh, of Snowflake? No, no, this is a good this is, wow. a, this is an interesting thing about the Snowflake implementation. Yeah, because in Synapse, if I want to do Spark. I need a Spark cluster, duh. Yeah. <laughs> but if I want to do SQL, like, you know, the full SQL MPP engine, that's a separate cluster, right? That's a separate compute. And they're well they're well integrated, right? Because we have the integrated catalogs and whatnot. But you're still having separate compute and you have to manage that separate compute, um, you know, on its and own. And you're going to pay extra right? as well, right? You got it. Yeah. The, the idle time that you have your compute not yeah. doing stuff, you're paying extra for it. Uh, so that's interesting. Yeah. The Snowflake implementation, you just have the virtual warehouse and the virtual warehouse will run compute against, you know, whether you're executing Snowpark code or you're executing SQL that you're submitting to your Snowflake. It's, it's done through the same virtual warehouse. And this yeah, concept of virtual warehouse is another one that I think has really worked really well for Snowflake. And I think Microsoft will probably start moving in this direction at some point with Synapse. Because this is one of the biggest limitations I get with Synapse so that people bring it up, is that people say, well, I really like the integration built into Synapse. I like mm -hmm. that architecture that I don't have to, you know, integrate myself a bunch of different products. I just have to deploy Synapse and boom, everything's integrated and I get pipelines, I get, ETL, I get Spark, I get SQL, and you get everything in the box, right? But people don't like the fact that 
you have to pay for idle resources and synapses still today and this is you know in january 2022 it still doesn't have automatic shutdown and automatic um wake up Resume. for yeah, the main sql mpp engine right so a lot of the clients what they do is they're like well at 6 a.m bring up the cluster and then at 7 p.m you know bring it down and we'll save ourselves a few hours every day but obviously that's not ideal right and that's not really flexible compared to the snowflake experience where okay. it's just like you know just run it run a sql query and if the cluster is down it automatically comes up and if you stop using it you can set the timeout and the cluster will automatically go to sleep right yeah, so that's which another means that thing databricks offers that as well just to yeah databricks offers that as well but I don't know if how much you've played around with Snowflake, but the speed at which Snowflake starts up oh, yeah. the warehouses way is way faster than the startup of a Spark cluster. And, and I have just, a yeah, I have a question faster. about this. So do you know why? Do you think it's it's some sort of Kubernetes or any pre-warmed? Maybe, maybe there? it's some sort of containerized um, okay. backend. Who knows? I mean, I don't have it. All of that is proprietary, <laughs> right? There's their yeah. secret sauce. But uh, but it works really well, right? It does spin up really fast. The only ones that take longer to spin up are like the big, big clusters on Snowflake, right? Like 5XL, 6XL. Those are like the clusters that have like 64 nodes or 100 and something nodes. Like they cost like hundreds of dollars per hour, right? But those you would be, you know, it's kind of expected that they would take longer to come up, right? Um, but the smaller, more like mainstream size clusters in Snowflake, they do come up um, very fast. Like, yeah, it's just a few seconds of waiting and and that's it. You're you're off to the races. So I think that's pretty cool. The other thing that has come up as well, I want to get your opinion on this too, is a lot of clients, you know, they, they we talk about these three different platforms, but for a lot of people, they are okay with the extra complexity and they just used uh, more than one of them at a time. Have you had any clients yeah. like this that use more than one of them to build their entire yes. platform? Yes, Databricks uh, and Snowflake, they, this, this pair, they come like quite often. Yeah. Um, just for the fact that people is already used to use Databricks because it's a technology that was released since 2014. So there's a bunch of customers that already uses Databricks but they are not up to into the photon engine still. Mm -hmm. They think it's too costly. It's not performing well. Um, well, I think some... I think it is very previewish. The the yeah, SQL endpoint. I tried it the, just just a couple of weeks ago. I tried it because I hadn't tried it in a long time to see how much better it was right now. And to me, it was still a little bit rough around the edges. Like uh, mm -hmm. the spin up mm -hmm. time was long. There was a little bit of like random random errors and a couple of queries I had to retry and stuff like that. Um, same queries are not hitting the same SLA. So, for example, uh, I would compare something like the serverless SQL pool uh, into Synapse. So, mm -hmm. I can't guarantee like that that query is going to run every time at two seconds, for example. Even though you can do this straight on dedicated SQL pool, but you have a dedicated pool for you. Um, yeah, yeah. My impression on the Databricks is that you don't have some sort. Still, you don't have anything that guarantees you some sort of SLA. So, sometimes the query runs fast. Other, yeah, other it's very non-uniform. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you, the query ran five seconds one time, and then next time it runs in like fifteen, and it's not really clear why. In the same issue with the serverless pool. So the people that are not familiar with this, in in the serverless pool in Synapse that Microsoft offers, 
there is no control of the size of the compute. You simply submit the query and you wait and that's it. And if the query, you know, took 10 seconds, that's great. If the query took five seconds, that's great. If it took a minute, well, there's nothing you can do about it basically, right? There doesn't have a button to say, hey, can I add more nodes to my serverless pool or, or for this query, I wanna have more nodes or I have a multiplier of the compute like BigQuery does, right? Google BigQuery yeah. does allow you to add a multiplier of the compute that basically says, I'm willing to pay more for this query, but I want more more horsepower, right? So serverless pool doesn't have that. And, and that is also one of the biggest drawbacks of serverless pool to use it for a real production workload. I find the Synapse serverless pool is really good for ad hoc exploration, but you it's, it's harder when you're depending on an SLA, right? Or if you're gonna use it for transformation where you don't have a hard SLA, um, you know, that's okay. Or if you're gonna use it to pre-populate a cache or pre-aggregate some data, that I think is good for as well. Um, because they're not they're they're not operations that are interactive, right? There's not somebody just waiting there looking at the screen on the other side. Um, for that, if it's somebody just you doing stuff directly, then I think it's better for like and I totally agree with that. exploration. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's, totally it, otherwise, it's it's you know like you said, it's like this thing where there's no SLA. You don't really know exactly when you'll get one or the others. Have you had a client that? wanted to mix uh synapse and snowflake for example synapse and snowflake yes i had one in brazil so they were basically trying to establish synapse as the ingestion and process area but they would like to use snowflake and that's a good reason because they they were using a multi-cloud approach ah, okay. so yeah so in snowflake they can mm. have and, and that's i think one of the main advantages of databricks and snowflake over yeah. Synapse is that synapse is attached to azure right whereas the databricks and snowflake you can spin up in different clouds so i think yeah. more and more we're going to see scenarios where customers are spread across yes. clouds so that's going to be a big deal in my opinion eventually yeah I can see that. Um, well, and, and look at what's happening in the market as well, right? So, uh, separating a little bit from the from the original Azure topic, Google kind of is kind of seeing this direction already, right? When we have BigQuery Omni. Omni so, to, pe yeah. to people that are not familiar with this, Google announced that they're going to have a version of BigQuery that you can deploy on their rivals' cloud. So, you, I think right now it's only AWS, but you're going to be able to basically say, "Look, I want to run." Uh, BigQuery Omni against these S3 buckets that I have in AWS. And you can control it from your Google GCP account and you'll be able to, you know, kind of like single pane of glass, integrate your Google BigQuery data with your S3 data all being crunched by BigQuery Omni, which I thought very interesting. And most likely that means that BigQuery Omni is just a matter of time until and, it's also in Azure, right? Just there's another it. good thing about uh, about Google. I don't know if you heard about it, but uh, Google is releasing a new uh, service. Actually, it's the first service ever in the world to offer a Sparkless service. So you're going to have yes, a service. Yes, ser serverless Spark. Yes, serverless Spark. Yeah, I guess. It's okay. I mean, if you think about it, in, in a way, um, I, have to, I have to play around with it. I have to play around with it because, you know, in a way, um, if I look at the Synapse Spark, it is somewhat, somewhat serverless, right? Mm -hmm. If I submit a query, 
to a, or start a notebook against a Spark cluster that is sleeping, it automatically comes up. And if I get idle, like I don't do anything, then it automatically shuts down as well. So, so that's okay. I it, the the game changer would be if the serverless clusters in Google for Spark would be a lot faster to come in and yeah. to shut down than what they are in the other clouds. That to me would be oh, the biggest difference. I would expect something similar to BigQuery. So, so that, that's my expectation. Ah, see, I don't, true, I don't yeah. think, I don't think <laughs> it's gonna be that level of of responsiveness. Um, yeah. Not at the beginning, at least. Maybe I eventually agree, they'll get to it. Because you have to spin up and yeah, you have to scale down. You have to scale up. You have to. Yeah, and and I think right now for the first release of serverless Spark, it is for job submission only. It's not for mm -hmm. executing notebooks. Or so, interactive, yes. Yeah, okay. it's not interactive. It's only for job submission. So again, it's not. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't expect the responsiveness or the experience that you get with something like, um, BigQuery. Right. And this is, well, this is the other thing as well. So now that we're talking about the three platforms, bringing it back to Azure a little bit is a lot of people, what they say is, well, if I don't pick Synapse and I go with Snowflake or Databricks, then I have to bring in all the other stuff that I might be missing, right? Like I have to bring, still have to bring in, um, might have to use a different orchestrator, I might have yes. to use how do I access my data that's on premises from Snowflake or Databricks, right? That's not easy to do either. Um, and it's I, limited I, as well. At least for Spark, nature is limited. You can't. Yes. Uh, yeah. You can't do everything, right? It's just pretty limited. And and the other thing, for example, is the well the the RBAC integration. It might not mm -hmm. be as good, even though Databricks and Snowflake do have RBAC integration. Obviously, it's not as tight as it is with with Azure, right? Because obviously, Synapse is is built by Microsoft as well. So, is is there a a uh, some warnings or or what do you recommend to the clients that want to try to build the platform? themselves so they're saying no i, I don't want to do synapse because for whatever reason you know i, I want to be multi-cloud or i want to stay with a third-party service but they're still missing some of these other pieces of the full solution like how do you advise them or what are some of the main things that you recommend if you do decide that you want to go with either databricks or snowflake and, and you know kind of like roll up your own sleeves uh, it it is a tough question. I, I think they I've been saying tough because you know those are really good services, but I'm not gonna say that I'm gonna say Databricks versus Snowflake. I think those can be used uh, alongside somehow. So maybe you can combine them and get the best of each one of those. So for example, uh, I think that Databricks the whole idea is that data needs to be on the data warehouse, even though you have different data sources where you can tap uh, Databricks or Spark, he's not the optimal or not the best way to extract data. So the best mm -hmm. way to do big data in at scale is just having a data lake or the Delta, the data lake house concept, mm -hmm. right? So, but Snowflake doesn't follow only that, right? You have different options to bring data into the Snowflake. Yeah. So I think it's just a matter to understand where your data resides. So I think that that's the first thing. Because I don't know if if you have this this the, the scenario as well, but 
majority of data is, is still sitting on relational databases. Yeah. So yeah, to extract data from relational databases, it seems easy, but it, it can be tricky sometimes. But sometimes it's a lot due to security, right? Like if I go with Synapse, Microsoft already has all this tooling about like True. agents that you can deploy yeah. on premises and they can forward your uh, authentication information. And then that, that data gets piped securely through through these agents to the Azure cloud, right? The so, runtime. So, yeah. so Databricks and Snowflake are great if I already have my data in the cloud. True. But, True. but if I don't, I still have to solve this like initial delivery problem, right? Like how do I get piece. it out of on-prem yes. to just put it in cloud storage? And once it's in cloud storage, that's fine. Then Databricks and Snowflake can pick it up easy. But and that first hop of taking it out of all those relational databases that you mentioned is what you still need an extra component, right? Let me revert the question for you. So uh, have you seen customers uh, through this journey, what they have been using? Uh, well, a lot of them, sure. So a lot of them will go with like the first party stuff. So they will, let's say in, specifically in the case of Azure, they will do Snowflake or Databricks with Azure Data Factory, right? Mm -hmm. And they'll just use Azure Data Factory as their orchestrator to use these, you know, utilities that Microsoft has built, right? Because Data Factory has like, I don't know, at this point is like a hundred connectors to yeah. extract data, right? Yeah. It's a lot. Um, mm -hmm. and, and some people will, you know, instead of going with the first party solution like ADF, they'll go with a third party, something like a Talon D or, or, or a Fivetran or Pentaho, yeah, any of these other tools, right? And they'll use that to extract from on-prem and move into cloud storage. But a lot of it is how the client feels about Azure in general. And this, again, mm -hmm. it will be the same conversation if we were to replace Azure with AWS or Google, mm -hmm. is that the if the client is okay with adopting the first party stuff, then you know they'll be fine with ADF and they'll be happy with it. But a lot of the clients, they'll think, you know, I have more freedom if I go with a third party tool, right? If I want to take my Fivetran over to AWS or Google after, then I can do that easily. Whereas obviously I can't take my ADF to Google or the AWS after, right? But the interesting mm -hmm. thing is that most clients don't do it anyway. They, yeah. they, 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 they deploy maybe Snowflake, let's say, or Fivetran thinking that they want the freedom to move between any of the clouds. But it's not that easy regardless, right? It, 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 most people will stay with one cloud and then they might adopt other ones or they maybe they acquired a company that was using a different one, but they, they most often do not just migrate their entire analytics workload to a different cloud, right? That, that almost so, never happens. Truth be told, I think that since 2013, 14, we have seen a huge demand of customers getting out of the on-prem and going to cloud. So that's- 2014 it's, it's specifically, because 2014, well, I think 2014 was the year where AWS um, released uh, Redshift on GA. Yes. Right. I so that was yes, the yes, biggest yes. revolution, right? The, the, yeah. the coming of Redshift, which was the first data warehouse as a service. Mm -hmm. Right. So initially we had some clients that were going to <clears throat> doing data warehousing and big data in the cloud. But all those clients that did that in those early days, and I mean, we're talking about eight years ago, those, those were the early days, quote unquote. Um, all those 
are now looking to migrate out of that stuff, right? So that's where you and I sometimes find those yes. uh, Cloudera or Hortonworks or MapR or even just open source Spark clusters that were built Indeed. in in the cloud as as IaaS, right? And now the client is like, I don't want to manage this like 30, 40, 50 VMs <laughs> that we have in the cloud because we want to do big data. Yeah, or more. Uh, because yeah. we wanted to do big data in the cloud back in the day, and they're just trying to get out of it now, right? Nobody I remember does to have a customer. Anymore. I remember to have a customer that had 250 machines in a cluster on a CDP cluster on a Cloudera data platform. So oh, yeah. we had to migrate everything from on-prem to Azure. Is still using VMs, and after two to three years, once the migration uh, have finished, then we had to start to, as you said work on the architecture side of stuff to redesign their big data architecture. But my question is, um, let me just uh, finish the, 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 this question for you because I'm interested to know. Uh, yeah, we have seen customers going to cloud. Now it's not if it's about when. Uh, mm -hmm. majority Especially of for analytics workloads. Yeah. Yes, they just, you know, more and more we have to process data terabyte, petabyte scale and no use. And just the flexibility in general, yeah, the, the flexibility, elasticity. Right? It's just a Yeah, the elasticity. Yeah. But do you think that same thing that happened in 2014 is going to happen in 2000, I don't know, 27, 28 regarding being multi-cloud environment and having services that are not attached to a specific cloud? Do you envision this or do you think that's not going to be like a trend? A big trend. Well, we have to wait and see. Like, for example, I, I if we look at something like a big query Omni, you have to wait mm -hmm. and see how the market reacts to something like that, right? This is a, at the end of the day, it is still a Google service, right? Yeah. But it is going to be built on top of the other clouds. Um, the market has been really nice to Snowflake, I would say. I mean, Snowflake um, has just blown up in the last three years. The amount of of client interest and implementations and demand that we have seen for Snowflake is huge. Some of it is driven by the multi-cloud thing, which I which I, I would say is a lot of it is more about the possibility. And most clients are not even multi-cloud. They just like the idea that they could be multi-cloud if they needed to, right? So I think maybe that's where the market will go is into give people the ability to be multi-cloud if they want to. But I don't know if, you know, especially for small and medium-sized businesses, big big corporations are, are already multi-cloud today, <laughs> right? Yeah. But in the small and medium-sized business space, I think most people will still stay with uh, one cloud, most likely. I mean, there's, there's issues with being multi-cloud if you don't have a big IT team, right? Because you have to be able to deploy securely and to manage it properly. Right, and it's already hard enough to keep up with one cloud. Never mind two, or never mind three. Right, so big corps—they're already multi-cloud. They have big IT teams. They can hire. They have money. Um, but small, medium-sized businesses—I think it's a challenge to be fully multi-cloud um, because, again, the staffing is is the biggest problem. Right, and you can be multi-cloud easily with uh, little staff and little expertise, but most likely you will not be a smart multi-cloud. You will probably not be optimizing it. You mm -hmm. might even, God forbid, you know, not have it secure. If you yeah. just go like next, next, next on the portals of the cloud providers, and then you end up with opening up a bunch of stuff that you didn't mean to and stuff like that, right? So I do think 
there's still a challenge in managing multi-cloud environments for smaller businesses, right? And on the other hand, we have the analytics uh, workloads and the analytics space that used to be too expensive for small and medium businesses, and now it's not, mm -hmm. right? So this is not a huge possible. market that has opened up, right? We it's can, I, we have clients, I've seen clients that run their analytics platform and they're happy with it on Snowflake or Synapse or, or Databricks spending, you know, less than $20,000 a year, right? Which is, you know, for a small, medium-sized enterprise, if you really want to make a differentiator, you want a competitive advantage. I mean, you could spend even less than that depending on what you're trying to do, right? But just to give an idea, you can have a really solid business just spending this amount of money, which is crazy, right? A few years ago, if you told somebody- It's crazy, yes. That you were going to be able to do that with that amount of money. Because, you know, back in the day, like when we talk about 2014, eight years ago, most people were, were deploying on-prem. And when you yeah. were talking about an analytics workloads on-prem, it was always like, well, it's either a massive Oracle box, it's yeah. a, a massive SQL server machine, or even you will be a, a data warehousing appliance which would be even more expensive, right? The people that right. adopted Teradata or Natiza or uh, I don't forget the other ones, but anyway, those were the biggest ones back in the day. Uh, and, and nowadays is the barrier of entry is, is so much lower, which I think is something else that plays well with Azure because a lot of people relate Microsoft to kind of like easy to use <laughs> and a lot of graphical sure. stuff. And you know, a lot of stuff I'll be able to just do from the portal. I won't need to code a lot. And then Microsoft even fair. invests a lot in it, right? Look at the data flows, right? So now you can do transformation, uh, low code, almost no code, advanced data transformation, right? So people relate that kind of like easy to use with Azure. And then when they look at, well, on top of that, you have something like Synapse where it's everything's in the box, pre-integrated. So again, easy to use. It has the Synapse Studio workspace where everything you can do it graphically and all integrated for you. Even the source control is integrated there for you. And again, it just makes it easy to adopt, right? It makes it people want to choose it and just get going quick, which I think is the biggest differentiator, right? You want to get going quick. You don't want to spend a million weeks trying to plan all of this architecture and integration, right? So I think that's a big differentiator um, for Azure and Synapse. Just be able to I go fast. I couldn't agree more. So, so yeah, that, that, that's a really solid point. I think Microsoft has this, they have been working on that idea to make everything simpler and easier for people to use it. So Dataflow is a really uh, good uh, example of how it's easy to ingest and bring data and do some sort of small and light transformations on the platform. But not only that, I think that all the services and everything that surrounds Azure, they are really easy to use. So I know that you, you didn't play only with Azure, but you played with GCP and AWS as well. So if we put all of those aside, side by side, we're going to see that, I, I mean, that that's my personal opinion. Uh, Azure is way simpler to build things and to do yeah, nice and you have and you have stuff. some really good stuff in the other clouds like you have you know aws yeah. has lake formation obviously google has bigquery and bigquery the google has has improved the bigquery portal quite a bit as well to have you know After the multiple synapse. tabs yeah, yeah to have the multiple <laughs> tabs to have it integrated with collaboration and stuff like that but they they're not there yet at the level of synapse integration 
right? Where you can just jump back and forth from your pipeline to your data explorer, to your notebook and refer to each other uh, from each other kind of thing, right? The full integration, this, they're, they're not there yet. Maybe do they'll get see, there at some point. Do you see any service today that could be compared with Synapse? Uh, not completely. I mean, if you look at something like AWS, right, and, and AWS has the uh, has lake formation, which allows you to, you know, centrally manage access. It allows you to have this. It's kind of like a, a lake house, an AWS uh, flavor mm -hmm. lake house, right? They have this idea of govern tables in lake formation, which is very similar to Delta tables. <laughs> and but it still doesn't integrate everything, right? You still have to switch out to Redshift to use the Redshift compute. You have to switch out to EMR if you're gonna use the EMR compute, et cetera, right? This is the 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 secret sauce or, or really where the value is for Synapse is that you don't have to switch out to anything. Everything's there in a really a, a, you know friendly interface. And I think that's a, that's a big differentiator. But you know what? Snowflake, Snowflake is going in the same direction. I think Snowflake is probably the one that's going in the most um, similar direction. Um, Databricks is interesting, but um, maybe it's just me. I, I don't like the the Databricks approach of that. You have to switch between like personas. You know how in the in the Databricks interface you have to say, "Oh, I want to see yeah. like, the data engineering, data engineering or, data or I want to see yes. the ML," and then you have different things that pop up depending on which persona you are, kind of thing. I'm, I'm not a particularly big fan of that um, because you know you you might be just doing everything you might be just working back and forth between different things and i want to see everything in one shot and just figure out how to make it useful right but I, at the same time i mean microsoft has had a lot of time to uh work and try to solve this problem right like look at the office right <laughs> like uh back in the day remember <laughs> I, I don't know if you remember this that microsoft released one time this like survey that said like 90% of the features that people wanted in Microsoft Word were already in the product. They just they just couldn't find them. They just didn't know how to do it, right? So Microsoft has had this problem before, right, of having to organize ton of functionality in one graphical interface, right, when they switched out from the menus into the ribbon that we still have today, right, the ribbon interface of the menus and all that stuff. And, and look at how Synapse, for example, is really good at this, right? The right click is always contextual. Right, so if you right-click on a pipeline, you get all these different options. And if you right-click on like a data um, data lake folder, even though they're all in the same explorer kind of thing, right? So this is this is where that's I think marvelous. Yeah, it's, that's um, marvelous. Yeah. It really hits the sweet spot for people that mm -hmm. just want to get going fast, right? And I think Snowflake is doing is doing a pretty good job of trying to build an integrated interface as well. But for now, for example, Snowflake is trying to catch up here. Uh, Snowpark, for example, doesn't have um, like an interactive notebook in the Snowflake portal, right? You just have to write it, write your Python or your Scala somewhere else, and then you you submit it through code to Snowflake, and then you get a result back, right? It doesn't have that graphical interactive experience yet. Um, but this is probably a, you know a direction. But a fair point that is that Snowflake through. is really. You know, he he's he just started right now, right? He's a baby compared with Synapse. Yeah, the snow park is definitely a baby for sure. Yeah, so we have to to wait and see how many progression, how many updates are gonna bring to the table because I think Snowflake is gonna become even more a huge competitor against Synapse, AWS, GCP, Databricks. I think it's just you know, um, 
about you said about personas. I still think that Databricks is an amazing uh, piece of software, but it relates to engineers. It relates to personas that needs to have the technical background. Uh, whereas Synapse and Snowflake, it gives me more idea that you know you can be a end user yeah, and you're gonna be I able to it, do something. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I find that I, if I just had an analyst, like a power mm -hmm. user analyst, yeah. I could just give him a good or her a good level of access so that they don't like, you know, shut down something. I could just give them access to the data, for example, and they could easily pick up the Synapse Studio or the Snowflake portal. Whereas I don't feel the same way with Databricks. I feel like it is Databricks not. is more for the engineer or the or the scientist that is just gonna, you know, really roll their sleeves and write code, right? As opposed to just like, oh, I just need to explore something real quick, right? Yeah. And people still argue about okay, but in Databricks you can customize things. But to be super honest with you, on big data workloads, to be quite quite honest, it's been like seven years working with that. I don't see customers just spending gazillions of hours optimizing code most likely most likely what they do is that they just spin up an extra machine and they yeah. run and half of the time and then yeah, they shut yeah, down yeah. the machine they instead of spending down. like 100 hours doing performance trying to tune on yeah, Spark, yeah, yeah. You know? it's easier so to just that's crank what up I have seen. Yeah, the compute yeah, yeah. so uh, that's another good point right so the the three regardless of of the three services that you pick they're all pretty elastic but um, there's just different limitations. Like I said, like mm -hmm. Synapse doesn't have the auto come up and auto shut down and all this stuff, right? Um, but you know, at some point it'll it'll definitely get there. I think we also have to um, something that I warn people about. You probably do the same thing is to try to not just look at it from the cost perspective either, because I see this all the time too where people come to us and they're like, okay, I want you to do just a cost comparison of, you know, let's say Snowflake and Synapse or a cost comparison of Databricks and Snowflake. And first of all, the, the models of consumption are different. So it's really hard to compare cost apples to apples. Um, and second, it's, uh, it's just one dimensional, right? And it's not taking into account some of the other things. Maybe you will, you can say, well, I think, you know, example, I think that Snowflake is going to be more expensive than Databricks, but you haven't taken into account that your data engineers are way more uh, productive with SQL, productive. right? And they are not hardcore Python people or Scala people, and they will be able to produce more work efficiently if they were on Snowflake instead, right? So that's something you have to factor into your, your cost as well, right? It's something that people need to think about, not just an obsession with what's going to be the cheapest one to adopt, right? And I can indeed say that that happens a lot. Whenever we are picking services and just recommending something for customers, before that, customers is always chasing us and asking, which is going to be, you know, the less expensive or... Yeah, yes. Uh, like, but which, that, which that's not how it works, right? I, you know. it's, just, it's just really hard to talk only about, as you said, one dimensional stuff because it's just a blended... Uh, mixture of a lot of things and for me specifically it has to be really attached for the customer's need because Databricks might be suitable for customer A but Snowflake would be way better for customer B 
So that really depends on the background. It really depends on what they need to do and what are the main goals that they want to achieve for that specific data pipeline. Yeah, and it gets even trickier for Synapse. Oh my God, for Synapse is way harder too because oh, the yeah. client, you don't have to just you know compare the SQL experience, right? If you're on Synapse, you might be, okay, well, how much are you going to use of Spark? How much are you going to use of pipelines? How much are you going to use now of this new streaming data explorer engine, right? And then the the cost comparison has to take advantage, has to take into account all of that, right? If you're going to use uh, Snowflake or Databricks, but you're going to use another service to extract the data from the sources, well, you have to add that cost to that as well, right? Because Synapse already gives you tools to extract from sources, right? So it gets even more Which complicated is a big with thing. Synapse too. Which yeah. is a big thing. Yeah, it's a big thing because everybody's gonna need that, right? Most people, yeah. most people don't have their sources already just producing data to cloud storage, right? Like you said, the vast majority they're still coming from SQL databases, and a lot of them still on-premises SQL databases, right? All right. So wrapping up for the episode for today, uh, Luan, what are you know if you had one big recommendation to give people? uh to you know that are just starting their data platforms project in azure what would it be what's the most important thing they need to get right go get a point to <laughs> get a point to real quick yeah. so first is prior synapse then i think it would be in a big trouble to decide which service you would pick but i think synapse is the go-to uh okay. if you're willing to do big data analytics but one the most important point in my opinion is that collection gathering stick with that try to grab as much information as you can for your customer and based on that you're going to be able to determine and create the best strategy for that data pipeline that so you definitely un understand the requirements is obviously the most important thing then in your opinion right understand yeah, the requirements yes. well assume you know if you if you're having trouble picking you can just use synapse as your go-to because it has everything under the covers right yeah um yeah. But if you are going to look into some of the other services, for sure, you need to understand the requirements really well and understand, like we said, right, the personas or your your main users that you're trying to target, right? Because that's really gonna it, yes. that's gonna yeah. end up being more important than just like these like cost comparisons that people like to do. Right? I think yes, because if you understand this, in overall, you're gonna be able to do a pretty good job, you know, without paying too much because you're going to be able to pick and choose the best service yeah. for that particular I, I, I agree with you it's like the the obsession with cost down the line <laughs> usually does not it does not pay off right so the what people think it would be oh i'm going to be able to save so much because i chose this one and not the other for most people even if you do end up saving some it's it's not a huge amount and what you need to you know decide first is the requirements right so i tell this to people too i have a session that i do sometimes called a building modern um bi platforms and i always say to people look the most important thing is that all the requirements are met once all the requirements are met then you can see if there's a way to meet them that is less expensive than another way right but without sacrificing the requirements yeah. and I always go to the client. I say, look, this is the solution. Number one, all the requirements are met. I don't put my first proposal to be, hey, 
I have a proposal here for you where I meet 90% of the requirements, but I think I will save you this amount of money, right? I will go first and say, here's a solution that meets 100% of the requirements. And if the client says, well, I think that's you know too high for my budget, then I'll go back to saying like, okay, well, which requirements do you want to take out, right? And then you There's know we'll see what they're willing to sacrifice, right? Yeah. Yes. yes. But don't start by trying to save pennies if you haven't figured out that all the requirements are met. All right. Well, that's a good conversation. Thanks, Luan, for joining me today and uh, being here with us. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and hope to see you soon on the next episode. Yeah, for sure. We'll have you back again. And everybody that is listening once again, thank you for listening. And until next time, bye-bye. Navigating the datascape. <laughs>